This is Sun and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox, and this is Acid Tongue. This Seattle band released a new album this month. It features appearances by other Seattle bands and artists, including Naked Giants. I won't walk back to you. I won't walk back to you. Shayna Shepard. It never feels so good. And Smokey Brights. I caught up with Acid Tongue's Guy Keltner and Ian Cunningham to talk about how guys struggle with mental health and both of their paths to sobriety impacted this latest record. Guy started off by talking about how the album's title, Arboretum, is an ode to Seattle's Arboretum, where he spent a lot of time working on this album and struggling with substance abuse and mental health during the pandemic. I personally needed a lot of alone time, so... COVID gave me that, <laughs> you know, in, uh, in a, it gave me a huge amount of time to think and process and ponder the world. And the Arboretum was a place for me to be alone. And for a bit, there a place to drink and sometimes use drugs alone. And I was going through a lot of serious issues with my mental health. And I wasn't really fully aware of kind of how bad things had gotten. I was really starting to spin out and have, you know, what I later found out, uh, I, I have bipolar disorder. And at the time, I'm, of course, I'm using cocaine and drinking, and it's just making things worse in my life. Essentially, the cocaine and alcohol use had gotten to a point where my mental health was out of control and my behavior was out of control. And the Arboretum was where I was going to write music during the day and abuse these things. And it all started to spin out in this really, really unpleasant and very unsexy way. And my world started to collide and my family was suddenly upset with me. And Ian and I were starting to have a lot of friction and it was becoming difficult to think, how am I going to continue even writing music as I'm trying to create what we're now releasing and what I feel is one of my favorite records. So I finally hit rock bottom after this and This is when I found out about what bipolar disorder is all about and sort of (laughs) the the perils of alcohol and drug abuse when you are dealing with that sort of thing. And it became a huge theme, you know, maybe not as much in the beginning of writing this record, but definitely as it started to progress and take shape, addressing my mental health became a huge theme throughout it. And it's, it's kind of what saved our band. And, you know, ultimately I feel it saved my life in general is starting to really look at the world in a different way. And taking that alone time at the Arboretum was the seeds of that, even though it was not so pleasant all the time. Um, it was really powerful and really important in order for me to get to where I'm at right now and be standing on my two feet. I mean, how did you get over that? I mean, I understand too, now you're, you're sober and things seem to be going a lot better for you, but like what worked for you to have gotten to rock bottom or gotten to that state and to where you are today? Like what were things that were helpful for you? Mine's sort of a case I wouldn't recommend for anybody getting sober, and it's that I got scared straight. And I became suicidal at a certain point, and it all blew up on one morning where I trapped myself in a bathroom. and I was freaking out, and I was screaming at my wife, 
and making this huge scene in the neighborhood. And I just had a complete and utter meltdown. And when I started to come to and get a little bit of sobriety in me, I realized I never wanted to feel that way again. And it frightened me. And I, I can't think of anything more scary than that feeling to this day. And I've been in some near-death situations, but nothing felt so definite. And I, you know, I was just mortified of the whole thing. And now I just don't have a stomach for, you know, I would never take another drink again. And I can say that without a doubt. And, you know, anyone could say that and still relapse, of course. But it's kept me going in a different way and it's given me more purpose and it's given me a different perspective. Again, <laughs> I have to underline, it was just uh, such a place that I, I want to avoid and such a way of thinking I never want to get into again that I had to start pursuing another way of life in order to figure out, you know, how to, what can I do to avoid ever feeling like this again and, and letting it get so bad? How did it get so far away from me? Those there's a lot of the things I was thinking at the time and I'm still thinking because it, it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. And it took me a long time just to get over the shakes. You know, that was a couple of weeks of just withdrawals that I didn't think, I never thought I was that sort of a drinker. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people that have alcoholism think that they're that sort of a drinker and they probably justify it their own ways. And, and if they are aware of it, they've made peace with the fact that they're an alcoholic and they're okay with that as part of the disease. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad that you've found a way out of that path into a healthier life. I'm curious, Ian, like from your perspective, watching this from afar and seeing the band shift and change as guys going through this, I mean, how did you see what acid tongue is you know, through this transition that Guy's going through. Yeah, I mean, I'm coming up on three years sober. So there was also this part where I think early in my sobriety, I remember trying to kind of push Guy to take the same steps I was taking and kind of follow the exact same route that I took to get there. And that obviously didn't work for him because we're not on the same path. And so he had to get there his own way. But there was a period early on where I was like encouraging him to go to these meetings I was going to and, and whatnot. So it's been really nice to watch him get there as a friend. And yeah, I mean, guys, the closest thing I have to a brother, you know, more than just a friend, like we've been all over the world together, just the two of us packed into a tiny rental car and spent half my life with him. So to just kind of watch him go through this and the transformation from afar has been really rewarding, I guess. And it's just been nice to kind of watch his whole outlook on life change and his personality change for the better and just kind of being more consistent. Like guy got me a birthday card last year for my birthday, which, you know, in five years as the band is the first time I've ever gotten a birthday card. And while that's, you know, a really small gesture to give somebody, it was really meaningful coming out of this period that he was thinking about me and thinking about other people and just kind of th that self-awareness is there now for him. Uh, in a way that neither of us had when we were drinking and partying all the time. So I don't know. It's just like he said, I, there was a point last summer where I was ready to be done and I just couldn't do this anymore. And I, I was over the band dynamic and just kind of ready to put making music behind me. I didn't think I had the energy in me to start a whole new band over again either. And it's just been night and day better. Like our dynamic is incredible now. Our The band that we have back in us is just really amazing, healthy people. Uh, who are all super sweet. And it's nice to be a band that's about the music and about 
deeper things than just having a good time and seeing the world and kind of throwing caution to the wind. You know, that's not really us. We're, we're more of like, you know, Prince, when Prince was touring, would find people if they were smoking on his stage. And I don't think we'd ever go that crazy, but, you know, he took it seriously and it's a job and you're there to work and you're there to play your part and, and put on a good show. Uh, and then what you do in your spare time is your life. But I think we kind of have more of that working man mentality now of, you know, we take this really seriously and we both really value the mental place that we both are in. And, you know, I love the routine I've kind of created for myself with my dog and my home and guys got his balance that he's found and neither of us wants to shake that up or lose it, you know? That's amazing that you found that and that you both are on the same page too. Yeah. Like I can't imagine if you've got some members of the band that are still like really into partying and others that have totally transformed their lives. But I also just wonder like when you're on tour and you're interacting with other bands that aren't on the same page as you, like how do you manage that? But also like how do you balance that when you're you're still in kind of a nightlife gig uh, where people are partying, you know, and I guess I'm just curious how you, yeah, how you navigate that. It's much more popular to be sober now than I think it might have been even 10 or 20 years ago. In the same way that you can find vegan restaurants every everywhere, anywhere you go now, uh, it's pretty normal and accepted. And there's a really strong community in the entertainment industry of sober people even bar owners that we're friends with are sober, right? So it's, it's, you don't have to look very far in most situations to find your kin um, and to feel like you kind of have a community that's backing you up. I also just think that at least in the bands we know and, and the friend groups we have, I think a lot of people, whether or not they got fully sober in, in the ways that Guy and I have, have come out of the pandemic with a decreased interest in that same sort of nightlife, right? Like we have a lot of there's friends. There's stronger people. Yeah. There's stronger people now. And I think yeah. Ian and I have, have made a really strong group of friends within the music community. However, we're also not judgmental. And I think we've kind of been there, done that a bit. And, you know, I come out of it in fear for my life. And, and so is he a bit, you know, and in fear of our well-being and we're still able to kind of stomach being around a certain amount of it and i think we just have a really defined line now of when we've got to go home and when we've got to kind of take a step away or when we've got to leave the room and that's okay i there's been nothing wrong with that and i don't think we've tried to pile on any sort of judgment on the people that still want to party and have a blast like i no no issues with that if it's not a huge problem for you if it is and you're working for us then we've got a problem yeah. Yeah. Elton John's autobiography has a line where after he got sober, he was talking about how he's cool to hang out in a bar with drunk people because drunk people are funny. But the minute that the cocaine comes out, that's when he goes home. And I feel like that's kind of where Guy and I are at is like, we'll hang out, we'll yes. dance, we'll DJ, we'll have a good time. But the minute it gets there, I'm going to bed. Yeah, I think that's. Totally yeah, fair. that's when it just gets very unattractive. Yeah. Well, one, I mean, congratulations to you both. I mean, that's such an amazing journey and it's a powerful one. Uh, and I think it's going to sustain you both as individuals, but also like as a band. And I'm also curious too, like, it sounds like there was such a transformation that happened personally during this record, but also it seems like community was there for you. Like you look at all of these collaborations that you have, and I just mentioned the ones that were Seattle-based, you know, uh, Shada Shepherds, Smokey Brights, Naked Giants, but there's a bunch other collaborations that happen on this album. 
And I'm curious how those collaborations happened and why that was important to incorporate into this record. <laughs> I was really messed up, so I couldn't finish the record by myself. Like I, I had a lot of problems even when I got off of booze and off of cocaine. I was still in no shape to finish this record. And it took a lot of help from Ian sort of being the director of operations for a bit and all of our friends pitching in to make these songs shine like they do. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it was also super helpful as part of the creative process to bring these people in. I'm curious if there was a certain collaboration that really stuck with you, whether that be like, ah, I think we can finish this album by doing this, or just a song that you feel like came together in a really cool way. I think, Guy, do you want to speak on Grant? Yeah, I actually was going to say the same thing. And it's perfect considering the conversation we just had. But uh, we have another friend, Grant Mullen from Naked Giants, that also recently found sobriety. And he arrived in the studio to, to put some vocals down on a couple of the tunes and had very, very recently quit drinking and had some of the same issues I've had, you know, and we've, we bonded over all our drug use, that sort of thing. And I don't want to out him too much. You know, I know he's probably got plenty to say on the matter, but it was really, really nice to have this moment together when we felt like we were both still healing over (laughs) almost like really fresh scabs on a wound. And there was this real fragility in the studio that day. And that sounds super corny. I never thought I'd be the person to talk about fragility in the studio because <laughs> we're, we're a rock band. But it was weird. It, and it was, it was great. And it felt intimate. And I don't know, the way, we were, the way he was singing that day, I, he's never sung like that on any of the Giants tunes before. So it was very subdued and, and raw and quiet and emotional in a way that spoke to what I was going through and we didn't need to have a lot of conversations about what we were going through because we both knew it. So it comes out on this record in this really intense way and is a standout track on it. And I didn't even realize the lyrics I was writing because I was still very, very drunk when I was writing that song. But that song has a lot to do about getting away from some of your bad habits and getting away from some of your past lives. And it almost has more meaning to me now than it did. It was, it was a throwaway song before. And now it just feels like very important to how I write music these days. Yeah, I'm looking at some of these lyrics, like lines like, got drunk on my success, things like that, which I want to play this song going out. But I guess the last question that I have for you is like, considering this journey that both of you have taken, I'm curious, you know, like so many people talk about this this balance between like being the tortured artist, you know, that like, oh, if I'm feeling terrible, it makes my art better. Or some people being like, no, when you're feeling terrible, you can't come up with anything creative. And I'm just curious how this process for both of you has impacted you creatively. Like when you look forward to the next album by Acid Tongue, like how do you think your output will be like, do you think that it's going to be so much easier and faster because you've gone through this or are you kind of relearning what it means to create music in this more sober state? I mean, I think we're 
already the album came out a week ago and guy and i had a long phone call this week starting to strategize for the next record and put those pieces together and i think that's it i don't think we have to relearn anything i think we both just now have the capacity and the gas tanks full so we can work at 100 percent and move as fast as we would really like to and be as determined as we are you know there's there's kind of no excuse now there's nothing getting in our way of I don't know, committing to it in the way that we would like to. And I'm really excited for the next record. Like I said, we're already demoing tracks out and we have some songs that we both really love. And it's just nice to not be distracted. I didn't realize how much time I was wasting being so intoxicated all the time. And I feel ferocious right now. I'm ready to go out there and and just put everything I can out there. I, I'm doing it on stage right now and in any project I take on. And Ian and I are working a lot more efficiently in the studio. We definitely have a bit of a formula we can pull from. It's made things a lot of fun. Uh, there's less arguments, which is also a huge plus and means that we can kind of sit there and try to think in the other person's shoes and figure out if the song really needs something or you know, if it's great the way it is. So yeah. I, 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 for one, I'm really just excited to keep tackling things from this different perspective because it's a, it's fun and it's exciting and it's, it's making music feel like it. I haven't, it hasn't felt since I was a teenager. That's amazing. Well, I've been speaking with Guy Keltner and Ian Cunningham of Acid Tongue. Their album Arboretum was released earlier this month and we'll go out with a song, Won't Walk Back, featuring Naked Giants. Ian and Guy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I could stare down all my troubles And walk a million miles I could stomach so much heartbreak But I won't walk back to you I won't walk back to you I'll happily admit I've taken all the hits I pushed the outer limits I can tell myself I did it But I won't walk back to you No, I won't walk back to you I won't walk back to you I won't walk back to you
That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.